0: A couple of years ago uh, Pixar came out with the movie Inside Out uh, which if you haven't seen it describes uh, it's about a girl who moves to a new town and the main characters in the movie are her emotions. So you've got sadness, anger, fear, disgust, joy. Joy is appropriately played by Amy Poehler uh, and sadness is appropriately played by Phyllis from The Office and uh, throughout that film joy does not know what to do with sadness when sadness comes into the room or when sadness comes into their their girl riley's head uh joy always tries to take the controls joy always tries to push sadness away and and, and get her out of the head to get her out of the control room uh she just doesn't know what to do with her she doesn't want her to ruin the vibe to ruin the moment This movie's marketed, of course, to kids, but if you're an adult, you know, you kind of get a a picture of what's going on there. That movie was pretty successful because it describes uh, us. Even just that dynamic between joy and sadness, is is that not so true of us? We, We don't often know what to do with feelings and emotions of deep darkness and sadness and anger and disgust. Maybe even this week you felt like you couldn't bring yourself to tell someone what you're really going through because if you did, you'd be afraid they'd reject you. Or if you did, you'd be afraid you'd kind of ruin the moment. Or maybe even this week you asked someone, hey, how are you doing? And instead of saying, all right, thanks, or good thanks, they actually said, "I'm, I'm not doing well, and I haven't been doing well. We often don't know what to do. We, we don't know when we ourselves feel that way. I and mean, we often don't know what to do when someone comes along and expresses sadness like that. But we do. We, we do have those moments where we are actually that sad. Or we're around people who are very, very sad or very, very angry. And isn't it amazing that this psalm is in the Bible? Like so many other psalms, it puts words to our emotions better than I certainly can. It was written, like I said earlier, by the people who would have led Israel in worship. This psalm would have been prayed together, sung together by the people of Israel. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and psalms like this are so important because psalms, lament, psalms of lament really do... Uh, What they do is they meet us in our pain and they legitimize the pain and sorrow that we experience during unjust suffering. The pain and sorrow we we, we experience in a world that is broken. And so what we're going to do this morning is just look briefly at at, at how this psalm not only meets us in our sadness. When you read it, it not only matches Maybe some emotions you have felt or are felt, but it also instructs us as, as to what to do. What, what do we do when we do feel like God has abandoned us or led us to the slaughter? And, and so we're going to look at, at what this psalm does. This psalm remembers, it actually starts by remembering God's faithfulness. And then you see the psalmist openly coming before God as they are. And lastly, we'll look at what it means to cry out. To God in the midst of our pain. Uh, when I was in college, I remember having a little bit of roommate tension and was wanting to speak with someone. And I remember talking to a pastor who clearly dealt with this issue quite a lot. And um, you know, he said, whenever he gets asked this question or, or someone brings this issue to him, he said he, he always says, "Look, hey, I want to talk with you about this, and I want to talk with you about the way they might have hurt you or broken your trust." But first, before we have that conversation, what I want you to do is go spend some time. Come back to me, and I want you to take some time, and and before you come back, write down like five to ten ways you have failed them as a roommate. Or you write five ways that, that you're a hard person to live with. Of course, that wasn't the advice I was expecting. It wasn't really the advice I wanted to hear, but it was important you know mirroring you know jesus's words himself you know to to inspect the log in our eye before we go examining the the dust in others but but it's not but it certainly was not the advice i expected Uh, in this psalm as i said earlier it's being written this is not the psalmist reflecting back on a time when things are really hard it's written in the midst of a time that is really really hard I mean, by the end of the psalm, you totally forget the first eight verses. The first eight verses you just read by themselves. This makes it sound like it's a psalm of praise, a psalm of remembrance. And isn't that interesting? The psalmist is is in the midst of being defeated, in the midst of being mocked, in the midst of feeling like a sheep led to the slaughter. And yet they don't begin the psalm saying like, Lord, save us. Get us out of here. Get them out of here. He starts by actually remembering God's faithfulness to them and their people in the past. We have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in the days of old. Not by their own bow, but by your strength, by your arm, for you delighted in them. In the midst of deep despair and anger and sadness... They begin their prayer to God by actually remembering his faithfulness. Why? I think they're cluing into something that you see throughout Scripture that we have to be reminded of the God to whom we are crying out. We have to be reminded of the God who maybe we believe is in control or maybe we're not sure is in control, but we're crying out to him anyway. And this psalm does just that. It's a reminder. It forces us to recite what is true eternally, regardless of what our circumstances are telling us, regardless of what our emotions are telling us. We need to do this because sometimes it will be hard. It will be hard to remember that on our own. It will be hard to remember that just based on what we're looking at or what we're seeing or what we're feeling. We need to be reminded that the God to whom we cry out is actually greater than our circumstances. It will be tempting to look around you. It might even be tempting even as you read the news or watch the news to think, holy cow, maybe you wouldn't say this, but you're thinking this is too big. God can't. He's not going to change this. He can't change this. We need to be reminded of God's goodness. We need to remember God's goodness. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, some of you might know, struggled with a lot of maladies, a lot of health problems his whole life. He struggled with depression and fear. Really bad struggle with depression. He he would go sometimes weeks just moping, crying in darkness. And and on one occasion, uh, he eventually married a woman named Catherine who evidently had a pretty good sense of humor. But she... You know, this is like on day three of of one of just a, a bad week. And uh, she comes downstairs and she dressed in all black, you know, which in the 1500s you only did if you were going to a funeral or if you were mourning someone. And so he looks up and he's like, hey, what's what's going on? Who who died? And she looked at him and she said, God. And, of course, Martin Luther's reformer, I'm sure I can't imagine what his response was. I was like, no, God's eternal. He's unchangeable. He can't die. That's crazy. And she said, oh, well. I, just by the way you were acting, I, th- I thought God had died. It's funny, funny woman. Uh, might be a little bit, don't try that. That's a little bit, uh, you gotta earn some trust and might be a little bit insensitive. But uh, it, was, it was what he needed later. He would reflect, that's, that's what he needed to hear. Um, sometimes we need to be reminded that God actually is indeed who he says he is. That the world he created is not capable of overthrowing him. He is always powerful and he is always good. It's important to remember who he is and what he's done. And if you read verses one through eight, the kind of theme that you pick up on that they're remembering is that God often works when the odds are against his people. I mean, over and over again, the theme is God works and delivers not because his people are powerful, but because he is powerful. Notice what he says, you with your own hand drove out the nations. You afflicted the peoples, for not by their sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm. Through you we push down our foes. Not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. God often delivers when the odds are stacked against his people. In fact, he does some of his greatest work. You think of people like Hezekiah. And Joshua, and Moses, and Abraham, all of these people had their failures flapping in the wind. And yet, God, all throughout the Old Testament, does His greatest work through people with great weakness. And so they take time to remember this. The psalmists begin by reciting that not to suppress their feelings, not to put on some rose colored glasses. Not to be dishonest, certainly, you read the rest of the psalm, they're they're not suppressing their emotions, they're not being dishonest, but to remember and to hold on to what is true and what is always true. They have a God whose might and power transcend this world and transcend our circumstances and are acknowledging that. And then verse 8 ends. And there's a pause. Some of your Bibles say selah. That just means stop, pause. That's what they've been remembering. And then verse nine begins and clearly acknowledges that though they remember they have a God who, does, who delights to deliver his people, that is not what they are experiencing at the moment. Right now, it appears God is rejecting them. He's not displaying his power. He's not delivering their armies. He's not going out with them he, it feels like they're, that he's leading them like a sheep would be led to be slaughtered. And on top of that, their enemies are mocking them. They don't have a home. You know, the, the, these are the enemies and they would have had gods that they could see and worship. And, you know, they, they had little you know, idols that they carved in temples where they could see their God. And they're, you're mocking the Israelites. I thought you worshiped an all-powerful God. I guess not, you know, because you guys are getting killed right now uh this is this is easy and they're coming before god and they're acknowledging that and in verse 17 and 18 to to add on top of that in verses 17 and 18 they're they're saying we have not been false to your covenant they're they're not saying lord we haven't sinned at all They're, they're not claiming to be sinless but they are saying lord we haven't turned to another god we haven't abandoned your covenant we haven't run away from our faith or the faith of our parents. But it seems like we're being punished because we have. What, what, what they're going through, you know, being defeated militarily, We, most of us in this room probably have not experienced that. There, there are Christians around the world. You just think of what it's like to be a a Christian in central or northern Nigeria, for example, they're experiencing at the hands of Boko Haram what, what Psalm 44 is describing. But, but most of us probably have not experienced that um, and, and, and probably won't experience that. But I, I would imagine that you have experienced what the psalmist talks about when he says that his disgrace is front of him, is in front of him all day long. You know what it means to have your shame cover your face. You know what it means to be in a season of darkness. This psalm is a psalm of lament and it is sad, but it is not the saddest psalm in the Bible. The sons of Korah who wrote this psalm wrote another psalm, Psalm 88, which ends with the words, darkness is my closest friend. That's how the psalm ends. Some of you know even this morning, what it is to have darkness as your closest friend. Maybe you've been stripped of friendships or stripped of your job or your riches or all the things that that you thought were yours and you thought legitimized you and made you important and now those are gone and darkness is your closest friend. Your shame is covering your face. Maybe even Getting here this morning was an accomplishment because all, maybe all month or all year, it's maybe been hard for you to even laugh for a minute without quickly remembering the pain that's going on in your family. Or maybe it's even hard for you to sit across the table from someone because you've got something in your life that you haven't confessed and you haven't brought to anyone. And you're always reminded of your disgrace. It's a year of loss. Some of you have lost people that you love. Others of you are just in a place of darkness and you don't know why. That's why Psalms like this are so important. Because they not only meet us, they not only match this. I'm sure this is true of you. When I read the Psalms sometimes, whether, it's, whether I'm in a season of celebration Or darkness, these psalms often put words to what I'm feeling much better than I ever could. And so maybe you're here this morning in the midst of feeling Psalm 44-ish, and you don't know why. You feel just the way they're describing, and and you're not sure why you feel that way. The invitation here is to lament, is to come to God honestly and openly. Philip Yancey, Christian author, wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And in that, he talks about his relationship with a man named Carl, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. A powerful guy, high achiever, highly respected by his peers, had a lot of people working underneath him, physically fit, and one day got into a bicycle accident that left him paralyzed. And so now you had this man who's... Powerful, respected, has people working for him. Now, all of a sudden, he can't do simple things like clean himself or feed himself. He's got rods in his body. Had to go through numerous surgeries. But he said that those weren't the worst part. He said this, I must say, though, that there has been one change more difficult than any of those adjustments, even more difficult than the why questions that I can't help asking. God's presence has withdrawn Just when I need God the most, I can no longer sense Him. I keep on praying and believing, but it's as if I'm praying to the ceiling. I get no response. What do you do when you feel like that? When you honestly feel like that? We need to lament. We have to lament. We are a culture that is just not good at this we're not good as a broad culture we're not great as a christian culture we don't know what to do that that amy poehler that joy sadness thing is way too accurately depicting us so so what do we do when we feel like we're not getting a response that god's presence has withdrawn this psalm invites us to lament To bring to God the problem we have, not the problems we wish we had, to bring to God the doubts we have, not the doubts we wish we had. To come to God as we are, not to come to God as we wished we were or as we hoped we were, as we thought we should be. The invitation here in this psalm and throughout scripture is to come to God as we are You know in your head Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I know God says that, but so often it's hard to actually come the way I really do feel. The invitation is to come openly and honestly. You think about Jesus throughout his ministry commends children. Commends the faith of children to come as children. You think, how do children come? When they need something, when they feel something... They're pretty honest. You know. They're not really caring that, that there's you know, people you respect around. They just want to let you know what their problem is and what they're thinking is right now. And Jesus commends that and invites that. The invitation is here to come to God as we are. Because there is a danger if we don't. If we don't come to God as we actually are, With our actual struggles, we can miss Jesus. We won't see our need for Jesus. We'll see our problems as things that we can kind of manage. We'll see our biggest problem as how we're perceived. And we can become really good at managing people's perceptions and views of us. And if we do that, then then we won't need Jesus. But lament actually invites us to come openly and honestly so that God might deal with our actual sin and deliver us as we actually are and how we need to be delivered. I must be said too, when we read a psalm like this, I know some of you are here this morning and you're reading Psalm 44 and you're glad it's in the Bible maybe, but you're thinking, man, I've never had a moment like that before. You don't need to be ashamed. Jesus says, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. If you're here this morning and you're not mourning and you're not in darkness, or maybe this doesn't describe you, you don't need to be ashamed of that. But let me tell you, you do need this psalm. You need this psalm. And and people who are going through this need you. To come alongside them. And you need this psalm because Jesus promises that in this world you will face tribulation. You may not be in a season right now, but there are seasons coming. That will be hard. Where you might sense, you might feel like a sheep led out to the slaughter. And this psalm actually gives us us a voice to come to God when we feel as if that were true. It could be easy when you read this psalm though to think... Man, is this just like a venting? Or is the psalmist just venting to God? There's these things that have become popular in Britain. You can pay 15 pounds, I learned, uh, to go into a room during the Christmas season. Uh, they're called rage rooms. And they've, been, they've noticed that there's high anxiety, high depression, high angst during the holiday season. And so starting in November, they'll set up these rooms throughout the city. Uh, and you can pay 15 pounds, or decorated. It's a room that's decorated with Christmas decorations, Christmas tree, and you can pay 15 pounds and bring a sledgehammer and destroy it um, to kind of vent and to deal with your anger. Certainly, God is calling us to be open and honest, but this is so much more than just venting. Surely we are called to be honest with our emotions, to come openly and honestly about who we are. But this psalm is also a call for us to remember that that is not the whole story. Certainly it is true of us. Certainly it is going on right now. But also to be reminded that it is not the whole story. This psalm does not end necessarily on a happy Note, it does end on, with a plea. No, notice how the psalm begins to end in verse 23. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. It's amazing how many times in the scripture God has cried out to by those who think he's sleeping. Even Jesus' own disciples. You think about this. Many of them were experienced fishermen. They go out and there's that storm in the lake, you Remember? And they are terrified. And what do they cry out to Jesus in the midst of that he's asleep? Wake up, Lord. Wake up. We don't know what was going on in the lives of the people to whom Paul was writing. He's writing to people in Rome. And by all estimates, this was written during the reign of Nero. And so it's likely the people to whom Paul is writing are experiencing some sort of Tribulation, some sort of trouble. And that's why I had Mary Beth read Romans 8 for us earlier. Because n- notice what, what Paul says in, in, in the midst of that. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's writing to people in Romans 8 who are crying out to God and wondering where he is. They feel like sheep to be slaughtered. He's quoting Psalm 44. Who shall separate us? Should all these things? And then Paul all of a sudden says, no. No. These things will not separate us. These things will not defeat us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, Paul is saying, these things will not have the last word. Sadness, death, famine being led out to the slaughter like a sheep. These things will not win. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Through Jesus who loved us. Paul can say no because of Jesus. And you think about this. This is is amazing. What what Paul is saying here is, is that Jesus... Has defeated that suffering. And he can say that because Jesus entered into our suffering first. You think about Jesus' last week of his life, even his last moments, and how much they mirror Psalm 44. Verse 14 of Psalm 44, they cry out, God, you have made us a byword, a laughingstock. Jesus is mocked on the cross, he's laughed at, king of the Jews. Savior of the Jews, you can't even save yourself. Psalm 44, verse 17. This has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. The writer of Hebrews says that we have a Savior who has been tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. Paul will write to the Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might, be, that we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 12, the psalmists cry out, you've sold your people for a trifle. It seems like they've just been sold, given away for no high price. Jesus himself was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Verse 23, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Why do you hide your face? Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went through all of that so that when we cry out to God, when we're using Psalm 44 as a prayer because we don't know what else to pray, we're crying to a God who knows what it is to be abandoned, who knows what it is to be mocked, who knows what it is to be betrayed, who knows what it is to have darkness cover the sky and cover his face. We have a God who can actually meet us in that but the reason for Paul's hope is not just because of that. Because Paul says, we don't just have a God who went through that. We have a God in whom we are conquerors. If you trace that cry for God's steadfast love, Lord, rescue us according to your steadfast love. You will tr- if you trace God's steadfast love from Psalm 44 through the New Testament, you will see that it goes straight through the resurrection, that we have a God who is so committed to keeping his promises that he will not only die for his people, but he will defeat death in order that his people might live, in order that death and sadness and darkness will not have the last word. And so that when we cry out to God, Lord, Redeem us and rescue us according to your steadfast love. We can actually do so with hope, with full knowledge that we do have a God who keeps his promises. Let me pray. Father,